following sermon is brought to you by Genuine, the college ministry of Coggan Avenue Baptist Church. More information about our ministry is available at www.cogginchurch.org forward slash university. All right. Man, I forgot to tell you guys, this is Devin over here. He's old guy too, and that's Hunter over there. He's an old guy too. So, man, we just got the, we got the old band back for tonight. And Patty on the guitar. What up, Patty? Playing the guitar, boy? All right. Well, listen, if you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of First John is where you're going to need to be. First John chapter 5. We're going to kind of sit there for a little while tonight. Um, I don't think we're going to be long this evening. We're going to kind of wrap up this series. Um, wow. We're going to kind of wrap up this series on enemies of the faith. So if you're new here, this, that's kind of the series we've been in, enemies of the faith. We're kind of taking this semester to talk about faith, um, what it is, what it does inside the life of the believer. But before we got there in the book of James that we're going to start next week and the rest of the semester will be inside the book of, of, of James what I wanted to do and what we wanted to do as, a, as an intern group and as a ministry group is we wanted to look at just enemies of the faith because there are enemies of the faith. There are things that are enemies of, of what is good and beautiful and true. They're enemies of, of Jesus. So kind of what we've been working with as we've been walking through this series, um, can you go to the next slide because it's not working, Travis? Um, this is kind of the idea that we've had that we've been working with that, um, this is how the enemy works, okay? This is, this is the pattern that the enemy uses. There's three enemies. You can find all of them in Ephesians chapter 2, the first like four or five verses. All three of these enemies are here, but this is kind of how it works, that the devil uses deceptive ideas, lies, okay? He plants lies inside of my life, inside of your life. In John chapter 8, we looked at the devil, and Jesus, in one of his longest discourses explaining who the devil is, says not only that he is real and that he is an enemy, but his primary strategy against you and I, the primary way that he engages inside of spiritual warfare in my life and your life is not sickness, disease, demon possession. That's like second, third, fourth tier kind of spiritual warfare. The primary way that, de- that the devil is going to engage in spiritual warfare in my life and your life is through deceitful ideas, lies. He is going to lie to you, and that's why Jesus comes as a teacher of truth, all right? Because in truth, he combats the lies of the enemy. So deceitful ideas, that's the devil and his lies that appeal to disordered desires. So we spent weeks three and four talking about the flesh, this part of you that is that as soon as you're born, all right, as soon as you, you enter into this earth, there is a part of you known as the flesh that is in outright rebellion against your creator, all right? It, it disorders your desires. Desire isn't a bad thing, but you start getting desires out of order. It is a bad thing. And so your flesh is this part of you that you're, you're born with it, that is just out of alignment with the things of God, with the, what, is, what he considers good and beautiful and true. And when you become a Jesus follower, what the Spirit of God does in your life, Jesus' Spirit frees you so that you can order your desires correctly and not live in slavery, but then walk in freedom, okay? So deceitful ideas, that's the devil, that appeal to disordered desires, that's the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society. And that is what we called the world. So last week we looked at the world. This week we're going to finish up what Jesus does to help you overcome the world. 
You're going to have to go to the next one. We got that thing plugged up now, so my little clicker thing isn't working, all right? <clears throat> wow, <clears throat> finally happening. Um, okay, uh, all right, so this is what we said about the world, okay? The world is a system of ideas, values, and practices, and social norms, okay? So the, this is the air that the world is breathing, values, systems, these kind of things, that are institutionalized in a culture, institutionalized in a culture that are organized around the twin sins of rebellion against God. I don't need him. He doesn't exist. I can define him however I want. Rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. So the world has a value system that it ascribes to things, and it, 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 it calls things, um, it's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 5. He says, woe to those that call evil good and good evil. So the world looks at a lot of things, some things that are good and, and, and calls them good, but the world also looks at a lot of things that are wicked and evil that the Bible would call wicked and evil and normalizes them and institutionalizes them. And we see this in all kinds of things like the sexual revolution right now that is happening. Um, it's happening globally, but primarily here um, in the United States right now. Um, the sexual revolution, abortion, we see it in greed, we see it in racism, certain kind of things that, that the world and the culture of the world holds up as good and right um, that, that just aren't. And the world tries to drive out love for God and then demand that you conform to its values, and, but ultimately it wants you to build your life on what won't last, okay? So if this is how the world functions inside of our life, then how do we, how do we stand up against the world? How do, how do we live into what Jesus defines as the good, the beautiful, and the true. How do we become apprentices of Jesus, disciples of the way, and overcome the world that is coming against us um, in this way? That's what we're going to answer tonight. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read this, uh, and then I'm going to pray. And then real quickly tonight, I'm just going to try to wrap this thing up, okay? Verse 1, chapter 5. And this is what John writes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone born and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone Verse 4, you need to underline this, highlight this, whatever in your Bible, okay? Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to unpack this real, really quickly, okay? Father, I want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for bringing us here. Lord, I want to thank you for cooler weather that's on its way. If you could keep the allergies away, that would be awesome too. Um, but Lord, I just want to pray tonight as we open up your word here and as we look at it. Um, Dad, I'm asking that your spirit would work in this room tonight. Maybe tonight, for some in here, it may be the most important one that we've talked about because you say in here that those that over, overcome the world are those that have placed their faith and their trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm asking tonight that you would awaken faith 
if there's anyone inside of this room that isn't a Jesus follower yet, they're not an apprentice of Christ, they're not a follower of the way, Lord, tonight um, that your spirit would work and would awaken faith. And Lord, I'm also praying for those of us in here that know Jesus, that are walking with him, and Lord, who are being attacked by the enemy. I pray that through this series, we have not only seen how the enemy works but Lord, that we would see how you have overcome the enemy. And you say the same thing about the world. In John chapter 17, when you're praying for your disciples, and, and, and there around verse 15, you say, um, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Lord, even the world has been overcome by you. And those that walk in, uh, with you now walk in freedom. And so Lord, I'm praying for that tonight. I'm praying for a movement of your spirit here in another another brick in the wall of our faith that you are building, um, Lord, so that we might be able to take our stand against the devil's schemes um, and stand firm where you have planted us in the truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to kind of swap up some things that I've got going on here tonight. Um, but here's the first thing I want you to look at. Uh, how do we overcome the world? Here's the first thing. Look at verse 5. I mean, uh, verse 1, and then over down to verse 5. You can throw that first thing up there, Travis, if you want to. The first thing that he's going to say is this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And look down at verse 5. Um, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So here's the first thing. How do I overcome the world? The first thing that John is going to say here is that you have to be born of God. If you're taking notes, you can say be born of God, or another way to say that would be this. New life has to be granted to you, all right? You come into this world walking in rebellion against him, and what overcomes that life of rebellion is new life. And the Bible calls this being born of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes and he says this, Therefore, if anyone is now in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. John chapter 1, verse 13. John, who wrote 1 John, he writes the gospel of John as well. And here's what he writes in John chapter 1, verse 13. Um, let me flip there because I only got part of that there. John chapter 1, verse 13. John writes and he says this. I'm going to start in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, that's speaking about Jesus. To all who did receive Jesus and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Here's what John is saying. Not everyone alive is a child of God. This is huge in our culture today. I remember watching a... Um, um, an interview with Oprah Winfrey, all right? I don't know if we got any Oprah fans in, in here or whatnot, um, but I remember watching this interview, and the thing that she kept saying again and again and again, and this is like woven into the fabric of our world's worldview, is everyone's a child of God. According to Scripture, no. Everyone is a creation of God, but John just said here, only those who believed and received him are given the right to become children of God, born of God. So listen, if you are going to overcome the world, the first thing that has to happen in your life is that you have to be born of God. That's the first thing. But what does that 
what does that mean then? And how, how do you get to be born of God? What happens there? Well, first, it, it indicates that it's a work of God inside of your life. He just said in John chapter 1, it's not the will of man, not, not of blood. So listen, you're not born into God's family just because your, your mom and dad are Christians. You're not born into God's family just because grandma and grandpa are Christians. I grew up in South Texas, um, right across my street. Um, was the, the Catholic church. A lot of my friends growing up are Catholic, and I got a lot of Catholic brothers and sisters, so this is not a, a slam of Catholicism here, right? Um, I, I have a lot of friends who are, who are believers who grew up inside of the Catholic church, but I also had a lot of friends that grew up inside of the Catholic church that thought just because their grandma or grandpa or their mom or dad was Catholic, that meant that they were Christian. That's not what it means. It, it may mean that you're Catholic, but it doesn't mean that you're Christian. You have to be born of God. Well, how does that happen? All right? How does that happen? So here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, here's the second thing. Look down at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Faith. To be born of God means this. It means that you have faith. Now, faith in what? And what does it do? All right? If to, to be born of God means that you have faith, and it's faith in Jesus. The object of your faith matters. The object of your faith matters. It's what you're hoping in to save you, to free you, to satisfy you. The object of saving faith for John is the person and work of Jesus. Look back at verse 1 and verse 5 again, because this is where he says it again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, look down at the end of verse 5, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The object of your faith matters. What are you hoping in? Is your hope in good works? Is your hope in religion? The object of your faith matters. I remember when I was um, young, um, when I say young, I don't, man, I don't know how old I was, like maybe second or third grade. My family, we, we used to take this trip to this like dude ranch out in Uvalde. Um, yes, there's one there. I don't, uh, it's like, it was like this small dude ranch and they had horses there. So we would like ride horses. And they also had like this creek. I don't honestly don't remember what river it it was the Frio River, okay, the Frio River um, that was, you could, you could get in and you could go down, and I remember one day we were there, and after it rained, the Frio River had, had come up, and it was moving pretty swiftly, and we were on, you could, like, this rope swing that you could swing and, like, dive into the river and go down, or you could go upstream, um, and you could get in uh, an inner tube or whatever and kind of, like, just, you know, everyone floats the, the Frio or whatever, so I remember my family was doing that, and we were, we were getting out, and we were going up to the spot, and we'd done it like the two previous days before. We get up to the spot, we get in our tube, we float down the river, and then you kind of, you know, duck paddle, whatever you do in a, in a thing, and like get over to the side and get out and come back up, and we do it again. So I remember, I mean, I'm just like booking it out there, running with my inner tube, and I'm you know, jumping in, you know, my Dr. Pepper, all right, I'm just like awesome, and I'm just floating down the Frio River, and I remember thinking, I mean, third or fourth grade, I remember thinking, this river's moving kind of fast, all right? And then I remember the spot where we're supposed to, like, swim over to the side to do some things, and I'm, like, paddling, and nothing's happening. And so, so I start to get a, a little worried, all right, that I am, like, heading down the river. So I'm like, 
hey, dad, what's up? I need some help out here. And my dad's like doing something with my sister or whatever. And my mom's doing something with my little brother. And my aunts and my uncles are all, have their backs turned doing things. And, I, and it finally sets in. I'm freaking heading down this river, and like I'm gonna be lost for the rest of my life. So I start doing what, what any like normal third grader would do. Yeah, I mean, I'm crying, I am screaming at the top of my lungs, I'm dying, someone save me. I mean, it's like everything. And then finally, my aunt, my aunt Glennis turns around and sees me, and she's like this super in shape swimmer, whatever. And here she comes, Baywatch, crew, like jumps into the water. I just remember her just like head diving, like coming out and now, at that moment, what, where's the object of my faith? Is it in like, well, I don't know, man. Maybe this fish right here. Mr. Fish, could you save me? Or maybe it's like, maybe it's in, oh, man, I, I'm glad you come. Maybe it's in this chair. No, man, the object of my faith, the focus of my faith in that moment was my aunt who had dove into the water and was swimming out to me. And I would do anything to get to her. Anything. And so listen, he says here, if you're going to overcome the world, the object of your faith is Jesus. And who the object of your faith is matters. It matters. So when faith comes into your life, when, when you are born of God and faith is awakened inside of you, the first thing that you see is Jesus and that's all you want. Things in this world begin to, begin to go away. Your focus gets to be fixed on Christ, because listen, the other thing that happens is faith not only, only rests Jesus as the object of life for you and hope, it allows you to see, listen to me, if you're a Jesus follower in here, you're going to get this, but faith allows you to see what you could not see before. When you're lost and you're apart from Christ, you think everything's fine, and in 2 Corinthians, when Paul's writing the church, he even says that, that Satan, the enemy, is working to keep you believing that everything is fine. Like Ross on Friends, I'm fine, I'm fine, whatever, all right? Nothing's wrong, I'm fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's whatever, nothing's, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. But faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, you see things that you've never seen before. There's a, there's a picture of like some grass, could you throw that up there? Listen, when I was in junior high, I did a science project. There's a butterfly in there. Can you see it? These 3D holographic images were like all the craze. Like people were, were printing these things out, and they were coming up. And, and you would show someone this, and you'd be like, Sir, can't, I promise you, because I, I've seen it, okay? I looked at this thing before I, I put it in there to make sure it wasn't hooked. Can anybody see it yet? Okay. There's a butterfly in this picture. I'll post it on our Facebook page as well later on this week. Listen, this, this is, the world holds up this vision of life that says this is all there is. But Jesus says, no, there's, there's more than this. There's, there's something beyond this. There's more than this. And the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith, Help you to see what you don't see before. Before faith comes in, you don't see your need. You don't understand where the world is taking you. You don't see the death and destruction that the flesh is reaping inside of your life. Remember Galatians 6 when we talked about the flesh? If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. But if you sow to your spirit, sow to the spirit, you will reap from, from the spirit. Faith 
helps us see for the very first time the death and destruction that we are in apart from, apart from Christ. Faith awakens this in you. It shows us the Savior that we've really been looking for. And it isn't found in created things like money or sex or power or worldly applause or possessions, but it's found in Jesus. The object of your faith matters. And here's the last thing. So we're born of God and faith is awakened and the object of our faith becomes Jesus and we see things like we've never seen them before. And one of the outworkings of that, all right, one of the outworkings of that is the third and final thing there that you can throw up, Travis. Not throw up, Travis, but put up on the screen, Travis. Sorry. The last thing is this, joyful, it's joyful obedience to the things of God. Look in verse 2 and 3. Look at what happens here. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This faith fixes your eyes on Jesus, gives you a new perspective of life. And in that moment, listen to me, you see the world for what it is. You see the world for the death and the destruction that, it, that it's pulling people to. The, the current of the world is this waterfall that is going off the ledge. And, and in that point, that it awakens within you joyful obedience to the things of God. This faith overcomes the enslaving power of the world to be your supreme treasure. It breaks the enslaving spell of the world's allurement. And by doing that, faith leads us into obedience with freedom and joy. The new birth takes the blinders off. We see things for what they are now, and we are free to obey with joy. So obedience to the Lord becomes this thing that isn't just begrudging duty, religious kind of duty. Obedience now becomes this path to joy in life. Now I'm not saying it always feels that way. Man, if I'm honest, there are still some times at night when I have conversations with the Lord and I'm like, Lord, I'm really struggling to see how you're better right now. Like, would you show me right now, in this moment, how you are better? Because lies are coming at me. My flesh is screaming at, right, at me right now. And the world is like making something just feel like it's normal and to be lived into. Jesus, show me how you're better. And I have nights like that still where I'm pleading and I'm begging in prayer. And I'm trying to step into the things and the truth that Jesus would shower me with so that I could live in to what is good and beautiful and true, that I could follow Jesus' mental map for how to do life and live into things that are good and holy and bring life, not death. That still happens, but listen, more and more, by degree by degree, the older I get, the more I study Jesus, the more I apprentice under him, the more I learn truth, the more obedience is a joy to me. And I see that the things, Jesus isn't trying to keep me from things. He's trying to lead me to where true life is found. 
And so obedience becomes this thing that's rooted in, rooted in joy. The power of the world, I think I have this up there, um, the power of the world in our life is broken by the gospel through faith in Jesus because it brings new life, a new vision, and joyful obedience. I don't care. You get to this point as you apprentice under Jesus that you don't care what the world normalizes. You see the world's values for what they are. And, and the reason you don't live into the world is the same reason we said last week. The reason we don't land where the world lands on the sexual revolution or, or, or power or money, the reason we don't land there is because we, don't, we believe that Jesus and Jesus alone leads to life, not the world. You become convinced of that. So listen, the most important question in this entire series for you to ask and the most important question for you to, to, to answer tonight is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Or better yet, let me ask it this way. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? I use this illustration a lot. Let me tell you the difference between those two. It's really easy to say I know Jesus. I can tell you who his mom and dad were. I can tell you where he was born. I can tell you some things about his life. It's kind of the same way a lot of us know the president of the United States. This isn't, you know, whether or not you like him or not. But Pennsylvania Avenue, I can tell you his address. I can tell you his wife. I can tell you his kids' names. I can tell you policies that he has. I can tell you, I, I know him, but I don't know him. If I tried to bust up into the White House right now, let me tell you what would happen, all right? Snipers and helicopters. Probably not. It's probably like one overweight guard that would take me out. It's fine. But, um, um, but listen, but, but his son Byron walks into the White House, and what happens? Not only does he know facts about him, but his son walks into the White House and wants to talk to dad. He, he gets through. Why? Because he's family. So what I'm asking you tonight is not, listen, I'm not asking if you know facts about Jesus. I'm not asking if you were born into some family where mom and dad or maybe even grandma or grandpa have some kind of religious experience that you try to attach to. What I'm asking tonight is not simply do you know Jesus. Does Jesus know you? If you were to walk into his house unannounced and go to the fridge and start taking stuff out, would he be cool with that? Or would you be this stranger that knows some facts about him but does not know him. That is the most important thing for you to answer tonight. Listen, as we close up this series, the way of Jesus is the exact opposite of the world. It's the exact opposite of the world. It's completely upside down to follow him. There's a, a verse up here, John chapter 9, verse 23. Where Jesus writes, and he says this. Can you throw that back up there, Travis? What? I totally missed that. <clears throat> and he, that's Jesus, said to everyone who was, who was there hanging around him, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That already is so countercultural. 
like the flesh and the world and, and Satan say unbridled fulfillment. Not Self-denial is heresy to the flesh, the world, and Satan. It's just given to everything. But Jesus already right here is saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? At the center of the way of Jesus is denial of the sinful, broken self through the cross so that we may have Jesus and life to its fullest. All that means is this. Jesus isn't just some kind of add-on to your life. He becomes your life becomes your life. To deny self is, is, is to say the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve said in that garden. It's to affirm that, man, I don't know how to do this thing by myself. I, my mental map is broken. I need Jesus' mental map for how to, how to do life. I have to die to self so that I can live for him. I have to deny myself so that I can live with him, and I have to do it. This passage is one of the few things that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, so it's really important. And this passage right here adds a word that the other three don't. It's this word daily. And I've got to get up and make the decision to do it today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So this is it. You got enemies. Can you throw up that last slide there? Jesus is better. Satan lies to you. And Jesus speaks the truth. This is why Jesus didn't come um, as a political leader. Jesus didn't come as an army general. Because your greatest enemies weren't politicians. Your greatest enemies weren't armies. Your, Your greatest enemy was Satan and principalities and powers that lie to you and rob from you and ultimately lead you to death. So Jesus came speaking truth. And in his life, death, and resurrection, according to Ephesians chapter 6, he broke their hold on you. So we live into truth. The flesh disorders your desires. You do you. Live it out. If you want it, go get it, whatever. The flesh disorders desires, but Jesus' spirit frees you, frees you from living that way. And the world, the world normalizes sin, but Jesus breaks its hold. He opens your eyes, exposes the world for what it is, and frees you to live into what is good and beautiful and true. So walk in freedom, walk in life, and the only way to do that, the only way to do that is to walk with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him?